You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Targets of Chinese cyber espionage are uncovered. Monty ransomware is back. An evasive phishing campaign's been exposed. A realtor's network's taken down by cyber attack. A closer look at no name 05716. Perspective on cyber war. Remember Pearl Harbor, but don't see it everywhere. Ben Yellen on the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's plans to regulate surveillance tech. Microsoft's Ann Johnson and Charlie Bell ponder the future of security. And scammers are targeting kids playing Fortnite and Roblox. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. The Washington Post reported yesterday on the recent compromise of the Microsoft Cloud, currently under investigation by the U.S. intelligence community, as well as by the Cyber Safety Review Board. At least one member of Congress, Representative Don Bacon, a Republican from Nebraska's 2nd District, a strong supporter of Taiwan who serves on the House Armed Services Committee, said Monday that the FBI had informed him that his email had been compromised in the incident. The espionage itself is remarkable for its successful execution, not for its novelty. Intelligence services collect like this whenever they can. The U.S. government's exposure to the attack, however, is remarkable. As the Post notes, it was unclear how the government could have prevented it while relying exclusively on Microsoft for cloud email and authentication services. The risks of the alleged security monoculture will doubtless figure in the Cyber Safety Review Board's inquiry. Microsoft's own assessment of the incident has concluded that the threat group, Storm0558, was forging Azure Active Directory tokens using an acquired Microsoft account consumer signing key. Microsoft wrote yesterday, This was made possible by a validation error in Microsoft code. Storm 0558 is an espionage operation. Its targets include U.S. and European diplomatic, economic, and legislative governing bodies, 
and individuals connected to Taiwan and weaker geopolitical interests. The group's post-compromise activity concentrated on accessing and extracting emails from the target's accounts. Microsoft has mitigated this particular risk and says no customer action is required. We note in disclosure that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. Bleeping Computer reports that the Monty ransomware has resurfaced after a two-month hiatus and is using a new encryption tool to target VMware ESXi servers at legal and government organizations. Researchers at Trend Micro state that Unlike the earlier variant, which is primarily based on the leaked Conti source code, this new version employs a different encryptor with additional distinct behaviors. As of this writing, only three security vendors that had the sample tagged it as malicious on virus total. Netscope has been tracking a 61-fold increase in traffic to phishing pages hosted on the free hosting service Cloudflare R2, The phishing pages are primarily targeting Microsoft login credentials, with a smaller focus on Adobe, Dropbox, and other cloud apps. The researchers note that the attacks show both misdirection and discrimination. Netscope writes, To evade detection, they are using two noteworthy techniques to prevent scanners and URL analyzers from detecting the phishing pages. First, they're using Cloudflare Turnstile to protect the pages with a CAPTCHA, This technique prevents scanners and analyzers from visiting the URLs and observing their contents while allowing victims to easily access the pages. Second, many of the pages only load the malicious content if it was passed by another malicious referring site. This helps ensure that only the intended targets are served the phishing content. A cyber attack against data hosting provider Rapatoni Corporation has taken down numerous multiple listing services, the MLS, used by realtors around the country. Peg King, a Coldwell banker agent in Petaluma, told the North Bay Business Journal, It's paralyzed the real estate industry. We can't add listings. We can't make price changes. We have no idea how to show properties unless we try to figure out who has something listed. The website The Real Deal reports that the incident was a ransomware attack, and the FBI is investigating. Radware researchers offered an unusually close look at the Russian hacktivist auxiliary No Name 05716. They presented their results at Black Hat and also shared them with Cyber News, which has an extensive account of the study. They gained their insights by infiltrating the group. Cyber News writes, So in the name of research, the two security experts created a fake profile joined the over 11,000 other volunteers following the group's DDoSia Telegram channel and downloaded detailed instructions on how to participate in the experimental gamification challenge. They see no name ascending as its colleagues in Killnet and Anonymous Sudan decline. No name is now, by a considerable measure, more active than other Russian hacktivist auxiliaries. No name runs a platform, DDoSia, which, as the name implies, affords a way of crowdsourcing distributed denial-of-service attacks against targets in Ukraine and countries that support Ukraine. The researchers put the tally of attacks in the first half of 2023 at 1,074. 32 different nations were hit in only 176 days. The motivations of the hacktivists participating in Dodosia are mixed. They're driven in part by Russian patriotic zeal, 
but also in part by the promise of payment. No Name promises hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars in altcoin to participants who earn it, but it's unclear how large the payouts have been. The payment system isn't well constructed. The Radware researchers found that it was relatively easy to manipulate in ways that pulled in cryptocurrency a participant wouldn't otherwise be entitled to. No Name is best known for nuisance-level attacks against vulnerable targets of opportunity, but Radware sees signs of that changing as the auxiliary looks to higher-value, higher-payoff targets in critical infrastructure sectors. The researchers also don't see No Name and other hacktivist auxiliaries standing down when Russia's war eventually ends. They'll probably form an enduring feature of the threat landscape. One of the striking features of Russian cyber war during its invasion of Ukraine has been its surprising lack of decisive effect. When Russia wanted to shut down power generation, it used missiles, not malware. Many have wondered why this has been so. It turns out that cyber war is real, but it's not real in the bolt-from-the-blue way many imagined. Mike Iyang, U.S. Deputy Assistant Director of Defense for Cyber Policy, addressed the mismatch between expectation and reality during a presentation at DEFCON. The cyber threat, she argued, is real, just not decisive in the way popular imagination expected it to be. She doesn't put it this way, but it's probably better to analogize cyber operations to espionage, reconnaissance, surveillance, and electronic warfare than to massive kinetic strikes. Policymakers often ask, Yang said, can you just give me a cyber option? This, however, is tougher than it seems. It takes time and preparation. It takes understanding. It takes engineering. It takes coding to design a cyber attack, she said. It's not what I think a lot of people expect. And finally, you like those in-game purchases, don't you? Well, the in-game money isn't exactly the same thing as real money. It's less fungible. Wired reports that thousands of websites belonging to U.S. government agencies, leading universities, and professional organizations have been hijacked over the past five years to deliver malware or malicious apps under the guise of free in-game currency and skins for Fortnite and Roblox. Many of these scams are targeted at children. According to TechSpot, Epic Games stresses that there is no legitimate way for players to sell, gift, or trade V-Bucks, Fortnite's in-game currency. Roblox developers also advise users that it doesn't allow the exchange of its Robux currency through third-party channels and that any pages offering them for free are likely scams. Scams, friends, scams. And the scammers will be the ones dancing to winner-winner chicken dinner. Coming up after the break, Ben Yellen on the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's plans to regulate surveillance tech. Microsoft's Ann Johnson and Charlie Bell ponder the future of security. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. 
Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Microsoft's Ann Johnson is host of the Afternoon Cyber Tea podcast right here on the CyberWire Network. In this excerpt from her show, she speaks with Microsoft colleague Charlie Bell about the future of security. Here's their conversation. Today I'm joined by the Executive Vice President of Microsoft Security, Charlie Bell. Charlie has over four decades of leadership experience in the tech industry, from developing space shuttle software to leading the creation of Amazon Web Services' decentralized engineering system, and now working here at Microsoft to make the digital world secure and safe for everyone on the planet. Charlie relishes big challenges and believes that bold innovation is possible with deep curiosity, continuous learning, and an emphasis on rapid problem solving. So, and you're coming up, as you mentioned, on two years, and Obviously, you had this really impactful and meaningful career before Microsoft. So tell me, why Microsoft and why the pivot to security? Well, like I said, I was looking at, uh, when I started thinking about, well, what what is the big problem in the world that I want to work on? And the more I thought about it, it's security is the, I call it the mother of all problems. Because almost everything we do in technology can become a weapon in the hands of someone. And so you think about all the advances that humanity has had, you know, since fire and everything that we create in the computer world and the technology world can be turned around and used as a weapon. And, and so you can't really make the kind of progress we all want to make unless we first solve this problem. So it's kind of the mother of all problems. Unless you feel secure, imagine, you know, all the work that we're going to do to change the world of transportation. We're going to have a lot of autonomous cars and we're going to have all the uh, rail that's driven by software and just all the transportation world is incredibly digital now. Well, it's a surface area that makes you very nervous about what attackers might do or power infrastructure. You know, we've seen attacks on gas pipelines. You know, one of the things we hate about ransomware is they go after hospitals. And so when you think about this problem, until you solve this problem, we're, we have to walk afraid in everything we, we want to advance because everything we add could, could end up being a new source of a problem. So I, I, for me, this, this was like the biggest problem of all. And the other thing that 
made it makes it very interesting is you have a bunch of bad actors out there who are innovating to try to create new problems and getting ahead of that innovation. I know you know this. And as you look to solve that, I, I listen in on, you know, and, and participate in a lot of the calls you have with your leadership team. And one of the things that always struck me and that I think is really poignant to security is this leadership philosophy you have around rapid problem solving. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and explain why you think speed and acceleration of problem solving is so relevant, particularly in the security space? Yeah, well, a couple of things. One is, as I said, it's the mother of all problems. And so if you want to think of it is uh, you got to be faster than the fastest innovation. So take the the absolute tip of the spear in what's happening and you got to move that fast if you want to protect. And so that's one driver of speed. You know, we're seeing it play out in, in generative AI right now. Microsoft's the first mover in this space, but we got to move really, really fast in the security world just to make sure that the customers can confidently move forward with it. But also you got to remember what I said before, the, the attackers are constantly innovating. Again, you have humans out there actively innovating all the time. And so, so the speed that you move, you just got to move faster than they do. And so speed is everything. The other thing I'll say is the nice thing about speed is you accumulate it. And so the faster you innovate, the more quickly you get to the next thing and the more, more you can build upon what you already did. And the, it's the, the, the way to think of it. It's like the first derivative of the, of the, of the rate that you're traveling. So, so the speed of innovation is incredibly important and recognize that it's kind of a, it's a community thing. There's no genius that's going to figure everything out here. It's going to be a crowdsource kind of view of all the ideas that come in and then make sure that you can quickly harness those ideas and, and get them in the hands of, of the people who need them. It's incredibly important. Let's switch a little and talk innovation, right? Microsoft has been in the news and internally hyper-focused on AI, which I've long believed is going to be a step change for the cybersecurity industry. So what do you think about the overall promise of AI? And what global issues, you know, not even outside of security, do you think are going to be addressed with AI? Well, the first thing I'll say is, you know, we talk about the asymmetry of the, of the attacker, the fact that, you know, they come at us from any point. It's like first move in a chess game. They get to move first. But we actually have an asymmetry too. The asymmetry on our side is data. We get to see everything. You know, Microsoft, we talk about the 65 trillion signals a day, but we have a tremendous amount of data. The nice thing about AI is it's all discipline. It doesn't care about a particular discipline. It thinks about across all of it. And it thinks about it with lightning speed. It, it, it knows it can say, oh, I need to go look at the access logs for X and pull a query and, and grab it and use that information to provide context for the next action that it's going to take. And it does all that at machine speed. And so if there ever is going to be anything that totally changes that asymmetry, it is AI. And Johnson is the host of Microsoft's Afternoon Cyber Tea podcast. You can find that right here on the N2K CyberWire network. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He is from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host on the Caveat Podcast. Ben, welcome back. Good to be with you again, Dave. Uh, interesting story. Uh, this comes from the folks over at Reuters, and it's titled U.S. Watchdog to Announce Plans to Regulate Surveillance Industry. What's going on here, Ben? 
So we've talked both on this podcast and on Caveat about the problem of data brokers. Mm. Uh, so it's very profitable uh, to scrape data from users and sell it. Uh, some of the entities that are purchasing this data include U.S. government agencies and local law enforcement agencies, uh, which puts people's First and Fourth Amendment rights at risk. Mm-hmm. If the government can go around Fourth Amendment protections and simply purchase data that might implicate people in the commission of a crime uh, or any illegal activity— then that's kind of a runaround of our constitutional rights. Right. Uh, so with that in mind, the uh, agency in charge of consumer financial protection, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, is planning to announce a plan to regulate companies that track and sell people's personal data. Hmm. Um, this is something that's been an interest of the Biden administration over the past years. Uh, there's been a nexus between this issue and uh, reproductive rights. Mm. After the Dobbs decision, one of the things that President Biden tried to do was get the Federal Trade Commission to protect the data privacy of women seeking uh, reproductive health who are in states where that has been criminalized. I see. We've also seen uh, lawsuits by the Federal Trade Commission, which is distinct from the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They sued an Idaho company for selling geolocation data, saying that it could be traced to private places like abortion clinics, uh, Mm. religious institutions, etc. Right. Basically, what this proposal would do uh, is expand the number of companies subject to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, Hmm. uh, which is a 1970s law regarding consumer privacy. And the amendments to this act proposed by the administration um, that they're going to try and put into regulation would cover the use of data derived from payment histories, personal income, and criminal records. Hmm. Um, One thing that they're emphasizing here is the disclosure of something called credit header data. Uh, So these are the names, addresses, and social security numbers at the top of the big three credit bureaus. People oftentimes have to give that information to the credit bureaus to secure a loan, uh, and they don't want to punish people by submitting that information only to have it be sold to data brokers who sell it to somebody who tries to punish them for something. I see. Um, So uh, that's really the focus here. Uh, So I think it's it's a promising step uh, for those who are concerned about uh, digital privacy and this phenomenon of um, data brokers and the sale of data online. It's interesting to me that uh, they're going to be using the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which is a, you know, a pre-internet law, right? Right. Right? So rather than coming, I mean, I guess— if it's good enough to use and you have it in your back pocket and it exists and you don't have to, you know, go around the horn with Congress to, to get something new, then I guess that it's a, it's the quickest way to come at something like this. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, it's going to get, it, it would be very hard to get a polarized Congress, one where you have um, each party controlling a single chamber to agree on a law like this, even though there is bipartisan support for reining in data brokers. Yeah. Um, but I think what they're trying to do here is leverage laws that are already on the book. Now, this does lead to a patchwork approach. This only really addresses uh, information collected by the three major credit bureaus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's relatively limited in scope, even though that's a lot of information and Basically, more than any other industry, people do give a lot of sensitive information uh, to these reporting agencies. But it is still limited in scope. Um, so that's just one downside of relying on this federal statute. It becomes kind of a, a patchwork where you address problems one agency at a time. Yeah. 
I mean, I wonder if it puts these uh, surveillance industry companies on notice that they're going to be getting more scrutiny from the federal government. I suppose the the cynical uh, take would be that if they come at them for a limited amount of things, then the you know the government can kind of you know wash their hands and say, say we're doing well, something about yeah, it. Look, yeah, look, we're doing something. But if it, I guess time will tell if this is actually has any meaningful dent in the the methods and, and degree to which this uh, surveillance economy operates. Yeah, I mean, I think the way you put it, a surveillance economy is correct. There's a lot of money to be made in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the industry would be okay with limited regulations pertaining to very specific things like credit reporting. Mm-hmm. But if we started talking about blanket bans on data brokers, uh, then the industry would freak out, rightfully. Uh, because it would threaten their ability to make a profit. All of this data is very valuable. Yeah. Uh, You know, you do have to balance the effect that it would have on the market with, I think, the really real need to protect people's digital privacy um, from these data brokers. Right. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it to see uh, as it develops what it actually does affect. But uh, interesting development for sure. Ben Yellen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler 
the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 